Warning, the following review is a bit defensive and petulant, indulges in overblown symbolic analysis, and contains spoilers. Listen at your own risk. So, I got into a bit of trouble with my last review of X-Men 3, in part because apparently I wasn't harsh enough on that film for failing to be true to the real X-Men universe. If that upsets you, then there's a distinct possibility that this review could really get your panties in a wad, because as with X-Men 3, I'm reviewing Superman Returns as a film, and as it stands. My familiarity with the DC and Marvel universes falls far short of that of many of our listeners, which is why you won't hear me doing any comic book reviews. Sorry about that. Okay, so with all that out of the way, let me start off by saying that I had fun with Superman Returns, even though some of its symbolic implications made me a bit uncomfortable. As implied in the title, Superman has reappeared after an extended hiatus which he spent checking out his dead homeworld, Krypton. In the meantime, humanity seems to have gotten along just fine without him, and a particular human named Lois Lane has just won the Pulitzer Prize for her essay, Why the World Doesn't Need Superman. The newly returned Man of Steel finds this upsetting, and not just because Pulitzer standards have clearly declined in his absence. Saviors want to feel needed, after all. You'd think the world would know better after Superman celebrates his comeback by rescuing a prototype shuttle in the plane it's piggybacking, a plane with Lois on board. This set piece belies a deep misunderstanding of basic concepts like metal stress, deceleration injury, Newton's laws of motion, and so on, but it's a gripping sequence and virtually guarantees that Superman Returns will not be featured as an in-flight movie. When it's over, Lois remains recalcitrant and bitter, and people seem to be more interested in knowing where the hell Superman has been and why he still wears his underwear on the outside. But events will soon conspire to have the world, and Lois, changing their tune. Lex Luthor is on the move. That's right, Lex got early parole. Apparently, he made inviting representations to some very old, very sick, very rich lady, all hooked up to machines with tubes coming out of her, and she got him released. It would seem that some of Luthor's promises involve techniques that are typically designated in Italian, and as death approaches, she thanks Lex for the many pleasures he's shown her. Nasty. She signs away all her gazillions in miscellaneous goodies, sorta, and croaks, leaving Luthor with the resources to go out and do what he does best. Find creative ways to acquire vast swaths of real estate, kill people by the billions, and screw over Superman preferably all at the same time. This throws a serious monkey wrench into Superman's agenda, which seems to involve agonizing over whether he should try to win back Lois from her new squeeze, a very GQ fellow who happens to be editor Perry White's nephew, and her son, a fragile little guy sporting those waif-like features that have been de rigueur for little boys in the movies ever since Haley Joel showed up in The Sixth Sense. He's a cute one, all right, played by Tristan Lake Liebu. And as you might imagine, he's got a plotline all his own, although it turns out to be a bit peripheral to the central issue of Luthor's mischief. Luthor's been teaching himself geology, you see, and he knows that crystals aren't just for healing. 
he gets his hands on one of the magic crystals from Superman's Fortress of Solitude and snags some kryptonite from the Museum of Natural History. I was intrigued by the film's presentation of kryptonite not as an element, but as sodium-lithium-boron-silicate hydroxide, with fluorine. It sounds like it might make a good toothpaste, but since none of the elements in this putative formulation are radioactive, it is a bit of a puzzle as to how the compound could be radioactive. But whatever. Armed with the rich lady's boat, the mandatory gum-chewing bimbo, some muscle-brained henchmen, and aforementioned crystals, Luthor is prepared to create a whole new continent, one that will displace North America, kill lots of nice people, poison Superman, and make Lex the biggest landowner in history. So it would seem that the world needs a savior after all. And make no mistake about it, the film is at pains to play up Superman's Christ-like nature. The word savior makes explicit appearance, there's a distinct Pieta-like image in there if you watch for it, and there's even a passion, a death, and a resurrection. And, of course, Superman is the farm boy ideal made flesh. Wholesome, red-blooded, gallant, courteous, kind, thrifty, clean, and reverent. Superman Returns is unabashed in its presentation of Superman as Jesus and America all rolled into one. Evil is on the march, and the world needs Jesus and America all rolled into one. If you don't let that bug you too much, and if you're not a comic book purist, you might have fun with Superman Returns. The movie is a delight to the eye. The set pieces are well played. Brandon Roth is a passable Superman, although he's too pretty by half, and the material doesn't give him much to do except fly around, abort disasters, and, well, look too pretty by half. He does a lot more floating than the Superman of yore, but that's okay, because he also soars in a way that's going to make you wish you could do the same. My wife says the cape bugged her, although she couldn't exactly say why. Quite honestly, I've had trouble with cape superheroes ever since my own painful and nearly fatal childhood discovery that capes do nothing to promote human flight, and Edna's litany of cape-induced mishaps in The Incredibles was pretty much the nail in the coffin for the whole cape thing, as far as I'm concerned. And while it's still true that Hackman set the standard, Spacey is nevertheless a terrific Luthor. A bit more humorless than Hackman, but somehow more malignant and menacing. That's important because you might argue that in Superman Returns, Spacey's Luthor is supposed to be evil as it exists today, which is to say, no laughing matter. And Superman, America and Jesus all rolled into one, has to deal with that. I must confess I'm a bit disturbed by the symbolic calculus. Luther and his oddly Arabic-looking henchmen use forbidden materials, crystals of mass destruction, as it were, to create a vast landscape of evil, a cancer that threatens America, and perhaps just incidentally the rest of the world. Superman must make sacrifices if he is to do what must be done, to quite literally scoop this evil out of the earth and cast it away. But that's the problem, isn't it? Not even Superman, America and Jesus all rolled into one, can simply excise evil like it's some kind of wart. Evil is networked, it's metastatic, it's distributed, it's woven into the fabric of our lives, of our world. That's the truth that has starkly confronted our civilization over the last few years, and I would have had a lot more respect for this movie if the filmmakers had been willing to wrestle with it. Of course, some of you will say that I'm reading way too much into this. Fair enough. 
wouldn't be the first time. So just let me finish by reiterating that I had fun with Superman Returns, especially watching what happens when Superman rolls into your ER's resuscitation bay. You know what you're going to get when you defibrillate Superman? A new defibrillator. This is Jonathan Sullivan for Escape Pod.